0: You may have noticed uh, in the lighting of the candle this morning, if we were to reread what Bob, I'm supposed to stay here, I forgot. (laughs) If we were to read what Bob uh, read this morning, it talked a little bit about how it's hard for some people to go home at the holidays. Now, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand to tell me if that's the case for you, but I know it's the case for many. There are mixed feelings about going home at the holidays for a variety of reasons. But I want to talk to you a little bit about how to find peace this Christmas, if that could possibly be the case for you, or maybe you just need peace in general. We were hopeful that our son Jacob would come home for Thanksgiving. Uh, Jake and Bailey, you know, lived up there in Seattle, and Jake found a new career, and he moved down to Austin, Texas, and thankfully Bailey decided she'd go with him, so both of them have started, not that there was any question about that, but, but they both are now in Austin, they've bought a home, um, life's going on, there's a real special uh, Christmas gift in the works for Bailey that I can't wait for her to find out, and they're just having a time, but we wanted Jake to come home for Thanksgiving. And you know, when you get a new job and you buy a new house and you make that big trip and you move all your stuff, plans get adjusted. So Jacob did not come home for Thanksgiving. And I'll be quite honest with you, Janice and I are a little bit sad about that. Uh, We're prepping and planning for our trip to go down there to see them. You know at Christmas, if you're old enough, that one of the great songs that you hear on the radio is simply this, I'll be home for Christmas. And I think most of us think that's great, it's romanticized. Uh, Another song you might think about would be There's No Place Like Home for the Holidays. But as I stated in Mendigo, for some folks, home, just where exactly is that? And where is it that you're comfortable going? You know, there's a song on the radio that Bon Jovi sings, and it has this line in it. It says, who says you can't go home? There's only one place they call me, one of their own. A hometown boy born a Rolling Stone, who says you can't go home? And He goes on to say, you know, he went all around the world. As a matter of fact, there's only one place left he wants to go, and he wants to go home. For some people, that's just not the case. You know, Janice grew up in Beaver local school system. When we lived in East Liverpool, we called that the farmer school system. We joked that we took college prep, and they took tractor, you know, that kind of thing. Well, that's where she grew up and how we met, you know, the ditch I found. No, I'm kidding. Um, How we met paints the picture of what we think about what home is. Home for her is completely different. I love to go back to East Liverpool. I I have friends there, Um, that town. I know that if you drive through it, you think, who would want to come here? Could any good thing come out of East Liverpool? Well, it's home to me and I love it. Janice has a different experience. She grew up out there in the country. Uh, She grew up in God's country, you know, with the the corn and the farmers and the cows and all that stuff. And she just doesn't share that desire. I'll get on my motorcycle and I'll say I'm going to go to Worcester and I'll wind up in the 43920 zip code. It's just like a magnet that pulls me back there. And yet at the same time, you know, if I go back to my home, it's gone. If I go back to the life that I lived there, it's gone. I find a few friends and a few places that I can touch base with and see how things are going. Paul is writing in the scripture this morning about what happens when the idea of going back is problematic. What happens when you can't find peace this Christmas? Listen again to what Paul said. Bless those that persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. I want to talk about this for a minute. Who rubs you wrong? Huh? Don't answer that question verbally. Who rubs you wrong? You know what I've noticed? A lot of times it's family, huh? You know what I mean? A lot of time you get back and there's that sister-in-law, you know, that just has to get that last word in and the one that, you know, ugh. One of the reasons you don't want to go home. Paul says, bless. What does it mean to bless? The word is actually the word eulogy. It means to give a good word about. It means to speak well of. It means to wish the very best for whoever that someone else is. I want you to think of it this way. That you would give a good word to someone who's done you wrong or you perceive has done you wrong. It means that you think the very best for those that are difficult to get along with. And please note, it means to keep on doing that. The word here is in the Greek language in such a way that it's not a one-time event. Because we all feel good when we do it once, right? You know, I treated her good and she didn't treat me back. Paul, when he says, bless them, he means it's an ongoing event. That it just continues and continues and continues. Give a good word to them today, tomorrow, and the next day. Another way you could write this verse is like this. Be a continual blessing to those who persecute you. Bless bless them and do not curse them. But I know your question is going to be this. How do we do that, right? Because it is hard to do that. Well, you've got to have a little bit of context here this morning, and I'm going to give that to you right now. We read Romans 12, verses 14 to 18. But I want you to hear how Paul started this passage out, because it makes a difference. He said this, I appeal to you, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, to present your body as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. That's the context of the passage we read it, the, the chapter began with those words so if we are to by the mercy of God present ourselves as a living sacrifice what does that have to do with blessing those that persecute us? Here's a simple way of understanding it in the context of how merciful God has been to me I need to be a living sacrifice to those around me I need to be A living sacrifice. You know, every sacrificial animal in the temple died. you realize that? Every sacrificial animal died. Do you realize that Jesus actually died? And he was called the sacrificial lamb. It's important that we get a grip on being, on the phrase, living sacrifice, so we understand what it means to be a living sacrifice. Because none of us here today, I think, would choose to die, aside from Jesus, he is here amongst us, as a sacrifice. You know, in another place, Paul wrote these words. Listen to him for a minute, because I'm going I'm to talk about it in the context of blessing those that persecute us. Blessing those that can't allow us to have peace. Bless those who insist upon annoying us. Listen to what Paul said in Galatians 2. I have been crucified with Christ and it's no longer I who live but Christ who lives in me and the life I now live in the flesh I live by faith and the son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Well just so you know what Paul said was "As I'm crucified with Christ and just to be clear just as every sacrificial animal died in the temple everybody that gets crucified dies as well. I'm crucified with with Christ but Christ lives in me if I am dead and Christ lives in me it means that the person who I am responding to who I'm interacting with who is annoying me, who is killing me and making me not want to go home they're not dealing with Joel they're dealing with Jesus hmm you see it I'm crucified with Christ, but I no longer live. Christ lives in me. That's how we do it. In view of the fact that God's mercy is such that he's done so much for me, I let that same mercy of Christ live out in my being. I don't respond. Rather, Christ responds through us, through me and you. When I respond, I'll tell you how I respond. I am like a good physics equation. I respond with equal and opposite reaction. You know, you, you, Jesus said, let him hit you in the cheek and then turn the other one to him. But do you ever notice he never said what to do after that hit? <laughs> you, you watch me, I'll show you. <laughs> no. I want you to look at what Paul says in this passage. Over in the 16th verse he said this, live in harmony with each other. And don't be haughty. What's that mean? Don't be proud. Don't be conceited. So, what does pride have to do with finding peace at Christmas? Particularly with the people that we have trouble finding peace with. It really has everything to do with it. And I'll tell you why. Have you noticed? And let's just stop. I'm going to step aside for a minute and have you think about something. Have you noticed the extreme in which our world currently lives? Have you noticed how how the extremes, there's not a middle ground anymore in anything. It's all either over here or over here or up there or down here. So many of our relationships have been destroyed, haven't they, by politics. And can I remind you that the elections over a year and a month ago, So much of our relationships have been injured by a two-year-long pandemic where we've now concluded that we either need to wear a mask or we don't wear a mask or we need a vaccination or we don't need a vaccination. We need a third shot. We don't need a third shot. And where you stand on that places you in some camp that allows us to divide ourselves all over the place. That's not meant for the church. That was never meant for the body of Christ. So we come along and we tell somebody, well, here's an article I read. Here's what I know because I read this or I listened to this podcast or I watched this TV show. And I belong in this camp now because this is my network or that's your network. You watch CNN, I'm done with you. You watch Fox, I'm over it. And we just get all this stuff strung out all over the place. And here's Paul saying to the church, live in harmony with each other. Shelly's been posting on Facebook about a chorus for a cause. Shelly, let's give a plug. What's the dates? December 14th and 19th. 14th is at what church? Okay, Hartville Church and and what? Faith up in Canton. If the chorus for a cause does not sing in harmony, they will have a cacophony, a mess right (laughs) you gotta sing in harmony if the church does not i'm not looking this way because they're laughing (laughs) if the church does not live in harmony with each other we become a mess paul says live in harmony and the reason we can't live in harmony is because of that pride. Don't be haughty. I'm going to be right. You're going to be wrong. I've got to prove you wrong. I have to show you that I know more. And it's exacerbated by all this stuff that we're dealing with right now. And it plays out in our families and our lives and our churches. And therefore, Thanksgiving comes along and we say, I don't want to go home. Because Aunt Lily's going to talk about Trump. And Uncle Joe's going to talk about Biden. And we're going to have it out again. And it's all going to fall apart. And there it goes. Or perhaps it is I don't want to go to church today. Because I know when I get there I'm going to have to see Bill. And Bill just rubs me wrong. I almost said Bob. I would have lost two of you with one stroke. (laughs) Went the other day to the store. To get something at the deli, and the lady at the deli, there's a line. I was so thankful I got to the front before anybody else got there. There's a line of six people, and nobody at the deli. And finally, this lady sticks her head around the corner and she says, "Oh, I'll be right there. I, I'm back here washing spoons. I'm all by myself." She came out and I said, "I'm sorry you're by yourself. I'll try to make this quick. Here's my order." And, and she said, "You know, I, I really apologize." the two people are supposed to be here today reported off. And then she said, and I know it's Christmas and they want to take their kids out and they want to do this, that, and the other, but it's not fair to the rest of us. Now let me tell you something. She didn't know that. She assumed that. But don't we do that a lot? Uh, you know, Joel was supposed to baptize baptize those two little kids, but he didn't show up. And I know why he didn't show up. There wasn't nobody sick at his house. He's laying in bed. Don't we make those assumptions? And what's it do? Huh? It It just helps the divide. And I'll tell you what that is. That's a hidden accusation, isn't it? Joel's lazy. The deli workers are not true. I know what I wanted to tell you, and I didn't want to be said on the air. I'm going to say it right now. You can leave the Facebook play, Eric. It's okay. I'm not going to name names. Don't get sick right now. Somebody I'm very close to tells me that they had a 31-hour wait in the ER this week. And I wanted to tell you that because we've become a little bit laissez-faire here with each other. We talk to each other. We get up close. A few weeks ago, remember, I was dealing with COVID in my house. So I'm just telling you, be careful. But we accuse. We assume and then we accuse. And you know who loves that? Satan loves that because the Bible says Satan is the ultimate accuser. And so when we begin to make those assumptions and then the accusation comes out and it divides us, friends become enemies. Marriages become single homes. Churches split into factions. And Paul tells us live in harmony. In fact, in Ephesians 4, Paul says this with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bear with each other in love. Now, let me stop here for a minute because I'm headed somewhere. How to find peace at the holidays. Bear with each other in love. Jesus never said they'll know we are Christians by how correct we are about a vaccine. Jesus never said they'll know we are Christians by who we voted for. Jesus said he'll know we are Christians, they'll know we are Christians by our love. That pride, when when he said, don't be haughty or prideful, you know what it does? It forces us to be right. We tell ourselves, I have to prove somebody wrong instead of bearing with each other in love, instead of being like Jesus and being loving and forgiven, even when we know we're right. There are some things that aren't worth those poker chips. One of the things I've concluded as of late is that life's too short and the mission of the church is too great to be offended by stupid stuff. I don't know how else to say it to you so what does he mean what what is Paul trying to say to us and what would Jesus do I want you to imagine if Jesus was an easily offended person Judas you sold me out Thomas if you just would have been there you'd have known that I was truly risen from the dead Mary and Martha here you go again I got to do something for you I mean, just imagine for a minute. And what would have happened to the mission of Christ? It would have never happened. It would have never happened. And that's what that, that silly offensiveness that we have with each other does to the mission of a Christian. In the book of Proverbs chapter 19 and verse 11, Solomon writes these words, Good sense makes one slow to anger, and it is his glory to overlook an offense. Did you hear that? It is his glory to overlook an offense. I have spent and I will continue to spend a great deal of time, and actually in the to how conference we spend a lot of time doing quite a bit of work around Matthew 18, and you folks have been hearing it from me since the day I got here. What is Matthew 18? If somebody wrongs you, you go to them and you say, hey, we need to be reconciled. If they won't listen to you, you take some with, with you? If that doesn't work, then you take it before the church. And if that doesn't work, let them be like a tax collector. Let them just not be a part of your life completely. But can I tell you something? When Jesus said those words, it was never his intention that every little thing that bugs you would have to submit to that. He was talking about relationships, he was talking about reconciliation, but he was never talking about, gee, you're going to be offended by what color shirt I wear today. You don't have to get offended by every little thing. The end game with Jesus is not that we get to the place where we have to reconcile. The end game with Jesus is that we learn how to preserve the relationships in the first place. Some of you know, there's two things that hopped into my head. I'll do one because he's not here today. (laughs) When I first met the SPR committee of this church, uh, Phil Tryon, I believe, was the he he was something, either SPR chair, but but, but I met him, and him and I met shortly afterwards. And we're talking, and I don't know him yet. I don't know much about him. And he said to me when he first met me, and he won't even remember saying this, he said to me, you know, somebody comes along and says, hey, they don't like Joel's glasses. You know, I've been bugged about what glasses I pick out ever since he said that. Nuts, right? Some of you know that I've been trying to, to trim some things off of my diet. Boy, the holidays don't help this. The dog gets more peanut butter fudge than I get. But I've been meeting with a dietician every week since June. And we've established a good rapport, a good relationship, and, and, and I really enjoy uh, the, the relationship we've, we've established w- with one in particular. But early on in the relationship, say, you know, five, six weeks in, I was struggling with hunger. And, and Janice will buy turkey breast for her lunches. Well, if I'm not eating, she only has to buy so much. And what Janice began to find out was that what she bought wasn't lasting too long. And it was because I was struggling <laughs> with being hungry. And so I, I'd never say a word to Janice. She obviously knew it. But I'd go into my dietitian and I would say, You know, I'm struggling, you know. And I've been, I've been, I ate a few slices of turkey breast Tuesday and I ate a few on Wednesday or something like that, you know. And on into the relationship a few weeks, I walk in there one day and I said, You know, I can't understand. I gained some weight there at that point. I don't know where that came from. And she said to me, What would you expect? You were slamming down the turkey breast there for a while. Boy, did that get under my skin. I mean, I ate four stinking slices of turkey breast. I gained six pounds? Really? And then you tell me I'm slamming it? I'm just fighting words. I told her that (laughs) just this week. I said, you really offended me at one point. Writer Solomon says this. Overlook. Overlook. It means to pass over. It means to take the high road. It means to step above the fray. Church, I want you to remember what we said earlier. Life is too short, and our calling is too great to allow it to be sideswiped by something petty and small. There's more important things to do, bigger fish to fry. You want your family to enjoy the holidays? Get over it. You want your church to have a good rapport in the community? Get over it. You want your friends to be your friends? Get over it. You need your politics to be proven right? Get over it. You want to show me that boosters are needed or not needed, whatever your view is? Get over it. Overlook it. Get beyond it. Because when we can't get over it, church, we lose our love. Then we divide. Then we accuse. Then we declare our own correctness. Then we declare victory, and guess what? Everybody loses. And more important than anything else, we lose our personal mission for the sake of Jesus Christ. And when we lose our love, it appears that Jesus has failed and the enemy has won. It's not true, but it appears. Paul goes on to say, repay no one evil for evil. Give thought to do what's honorable in the sight of God. And if possible, as far as it depends on you, live peaceably with everyone. That last line is what we're driving to in this passage. Live at peace with everyone. That means the person that you currently have chosen not to be talking to. That means the person who has currently chosen to not talk to you. That means the person that rubs you wrong, the person who's rude to you, the person who's currently sitting next to you. Boy, am I glad I got up out of that chair where Catherine's at. Because the alternative, the alternative church is broken homes, broken marriages, broken relationships, broken working places, broken churches, and ultimately broken lives. Paul says live at peace with all. And that brings me to my bottom line. The peace you give will be the peace you have. Do you realize that? The peace you give will be the peace you have. When Jesus looked at Peter and said, I give you the keys to the kingdom. Thou art Peter, and upon this rock I'll build my church. You know what he was saying? He was saying, I'm giving you the greatest authority on earth. It's the authority to forgive. The authority to do what only Jesus could do by dying. I'm giving it to you, Christian, to do by living. Church, you want to find peace. Give the peace that Christ has given to you. When Jesus left, and I know you know this verse off by heart, Jesus said, my peace I leave with you. Not the peace that the world gives do I give to you. We will worry about Russia and China until Jesus comes back. We will worry about all sorts of things until the day Jesus comes back. But one thing we should not be worried about is about our relationships in our lives. If Christ has forgiven us, are we to withhold that same grace to those around us so church remember you withhold it you won't have it but if you give it the way that jesus freely has given it to you you will find it amen
1: Boy, Christmas time always meant visiting my grandparents in London. Grandmother loved to bake and spoil us with presents and cakes. After she died, it wasn't the same. Grandfather had never been one to say much, and he became even more quiet once he was bedridden. Alone in his room with him one Christmas Eve, neither of us knew what to say. To break the silence, I asked about an old photo on his shelf. I knew he had fought in World War I, though he rarely spoke of it, but something unlocked in him that night, and he told me this story. It was all supposed to be over by Christmas. Of course, it didn't happen that way. We spent every day and night in the trenches, and all the time, the enemy, 50 yards away waiting to shoot us. It felt like nothing could ever end. That Christmas Eve was about the lowest I'd ever felt. We got packages from home. Your grandmother sent me a picture of herself, but it just made me miss her more. Late that night, though, something happened. I heard singing I grabbed my rifle and poked my head up just enough to see the lights, lights, all along the German trench. The Germans were singing Christmas songs and lighting candles. I don't know what drew him, but one German soldier climbed out of his trench and began to walk across no man's land. It was the bravest thing I've ever seen. Soon. I heard some of our men singing along with the Germans, and a few of the fellows started to climb out as well. Before long, most of us were out there. We shook hands with them, shook hands with the very Germans we'd been trying to kill. I guess we all wanted Christmas more than war that night. We spent all of Christmas Day right out in the open with them. We made small talk. Told jokes traded little gifts with each other and some of us held services reading the christmas story back and forth in english and german and praying together on christmas morning i wouldn't believe it if i hadn't been there myself grandfather stopped talking finally i asked him why that didn't end the war How could they go back to shooting at each other after that? Most of us wanted it to be over, of course. We wanted to go home. But we learned that year that Christmas isn't what brings peace. Christmas is a promise that Jesus will bring peace to all who believe, to the whole world, when the time is right. Christmas is the promise that one day we'll go home. I can't wait to shake hands with some of those German lads again.
0: thing that I would add to what you saw there and what I've said already today is this you don't have to wait till heaven to go home you can make those relationships good now go in peace, amen